it, Red Arms. Give it your all. We'll drink the wine till the cup is dry and kiss the girls on down the cry and toss the dice until we fly and dance with Jack of the Shadows. Welcome back to another episode of Tales of a Red Arm. I'm one of your hosts, Justin. And I'm the other one, James. And today we're getting closer and closer to the end of the book, but before we jump into this chapter, just a quick recap of the previous chapter. Um, so our party went into the Blight, or at least the fringes of the Blight, and we're moving closer and closer into the actual Blight. And they finally set up a camp, and it had a uh, invisible, uh, I don't know, like a barrier, I guess, like a, a reflective barrier. So somebody looking at you would see the other side; they wouldn't see you. Typical no, I think, invisibility. I think barrier is like a. I think barrier is a good enough term for that. Well, I mean, barriers typically imply that you know it repels barrier, something. Screen. A screen. Uh, I'd say an invisibility screen would probably be a better idea. Invisibility screen around them, um, so that everyone in the blight, being monsters and everything, don't just see them and be like, "Oh, dinner time." So they set up this little light, light refraction screen, invisibility thing going on, and then they end up uh, settling down for the night um, after seeing this wonderful creature. That's actually uh, James's favorite creature in the series so far. Um, yeah, all right. Underwater. I can't, I can't wait to learn its name, whatever it is. His name is Jerry. Be nice. <laughs> 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 but he just wants to shake your hand with every single one of his human hands oh, on his face. It's going to take hours. I know, right? <laughs> Will that take place before or after he eats you? <laughs> but. Um, but then we have this little uh, section at the very, very end of the chapter where Nynaeve and Lan kind of have a heart-to-heart -heart moment, and it's a very romantic, somewhat disappointing outcome uh, situation, but you understand that there are reasons as to why it ends the way it does end, but it's still kind of like a cool little section. Um, I think everyone kind of appreciates it to some extent. Um so now we're in chapter 49, The Dark One Stirs, and we are now waking up with the dawn, and Rand's kind of surprised he slept as well as he did. Um, but basically he has this quick flashback memory of Nynaeve and Land's conversation from the night before, but he sees Nynaeve and she's got red rimmed eyes obviously hadn't slept lan's face chiseled of stone seemed to be chiseled of even stonier stone <laughs> um and the term used for it is like as if he had resumed a mask and did not intend to let it slip again so the conversation with Nani from the previous chapter or the night before was very emotional for Lan. Like, Lan more or less opened up his heart to Nynaeve, but at the same time was just like, I I, I shouldn't do this to you, and was kind of like, 
almost a confession with self-rejection, if you will. And Egwene shows up next to Nynaeve, and she seems concerned, but Rand's not sure what they're talking about. But, I mean, it's pretty obvious to tell what they're talking about. But Nynaeve's trying to, like, shake off Egwene, but Egwene's, you know, trying to still talk to him, and then they talk for a little bit longer, and Nynaeve keeps shaking her head, and then eventually Nynaeve ends it with a laugh and hugs Egwene. Um, but, you know, is doing some soothing talk. But when Egwene stands up, she's glaring at Lan, but Lan's not noticing. He just, like, he didn't even look at Nynaeve's direction. So he's probably trying to avoid looking at her and then taking the hit to his heart. Um, but Rand's like, well, whatever happens, this is going to go crazy. Um, but he... <laughs> <laughs> he has this thought where he wonders if women have a way of reading men's minds and it, it unsettles him. And then he thinks in his head, all women are Aes Sedai, which is false. But I think the point here is that it's to see women, all women like Aes Sedai in terms of Aes Sedai have their manipulation of words to get what they want out of somebody. And I don't think Nynaeve's manipulating Lan in any shape or form in this instance. I don't think so. I think she truly desires to connect with Lan. And Lan, I think, to some extent, wants to do the same as well. But he thinks that he's on the road to just absolute destruction and is not willing to take her with him. So, but I think the idea is that... All women are Aes Sedai, which, I mean, is a scary thought for people who can't wield the one power because somebody who can wield the one power means they have an edge over you. And if they have a beef with you, then they're willing to use it, which men and women can use. But men typically pull more of a land situation, at least in, in the overarching viewpoint of the world as opposed to just you know the west um but ran kind of like you know the blights you know messing with my head or whatever um and then they have the dis disappearing campsite right and they, they leave it and everyone's trying to like get going but they can see the seven towers of malkier plain as day in the light of the morning um, just big broken rocky stumps. Um, there used to be like this great buildings of just epic proportions. And there were a whole bunch, cause they have basically like a hundred little lakes kind of just shevered all over the place. One of them having Jerry in it. Um, but <laughs> so it actually looks kind of beautiful to a certain extent, like smooth, unruffled blue water. Um, the sky's blue. It almost makes you think like I'm not in the blight, but then you are really. Um, but land keeps like avoiding looking at the towers, but not actually showing that he's avoiding it like 
Same thing with like Nynaeve. He's not actively um, ignoring Nynaeve. But he's more or less doing it by default. Like he's he's not been like noticeably like I can't look at Nynaeve or I can't look at the Seven Towers. He's kind of just focused on whatever he's doing, which may be on purpose. So he doesn't have to look at either of them because maybe that's something that's hurting him as well. We don't know. Um, but then we get everything, you know, together and they got the wicker panniers on the back of the horses and assuming pack animals if they have them. Um, and Nynaeve and Egwene are observing Moraine on the middle of the hilltop doing her thing and Rand can't see anything but Nynaeve and Egwene shiver despite the heat and it's kind of a it's, it's a reference point to the one power being used because women can uh, notice Sidar by other women and men would be able to notice Sidine from other men but obviously because Rand's not a woman, he can't sense Sidar, he doesn't know what's going on, but Nynaeve and Egwene could. But then they kind of like check it. They're checking out what she's doing on the hill, Moraine that is. And they kind of like, oh, that's that's kind of a cool. And then they, you know, give each other kind of like a smile because like, yeah, we, we could share in this kind of thing. But Rand's hair's already damp with sweat even though he just splashed water in his face and everything. And he's just like, he's noticing that there's something in the silent exchange between Nynaeve and Egwene. And he, but he doesn't know that it's Sidar. So Matt's just like, well, what are we waiting for? And Moraine's like, well, I'm just removing the last remnants of what I did here last night. And the residues would eventually have dissipated, but by removing it, this is one of those things about the one power. By if you just leave it there, somebody who can sense that weaving that was done, like in this case the light screen refraction thing, um, mm. if they sense it, they can use it like it's like a beacon. They like it attracts people. They'll they'll want to come that direction. And by removing it, you can like pick it apart, and it'll collapse. And then it basically is as if it was not there. So you'd have to be like ridiculously close to even begin to think that there was something even done there. So it's, it's more like a cautionary security type thing. And she's like, well, um, I don't want to take any risks and we're too close. And the shadow is really strong. So she has land take the, the lead and they start heading towards the mountain of doom. And eventually they're getting closer and closer to it. And they notice the big jagged broken teeth of the peaks. Um, that Egwene asks Moraine if they'd reached the eye today. And she's like, well, I hope that we are. When I found it before, it was just on the other side of the mountains at the foot of the high passes. And Matt looks over at Loyal and is like, well, he said it, would, it moves. What if it isn't where you expect? And she's like, well, <laughs> we'll just keep hunting it until we find it. The green man senses need and there can be no greater need than ours. And our need is the hope of the world. So they're heading to these mountains 
But as they get closer to those mountains, so does the actual blight. So remember, they were kind of just on the fringes. Now they're like in the middle of it. Or I should say approaching the middle of it. Um, mm. And now we're getting to all these crazy descriptions that we're not going to go over because, again, you should be reading them along anyway. So, um, But let's just say it's very unsettling descriptions. Um, and Matt notices these unsettling descriptions <laughs> and is like, well, it looks like they want to grab us, referring to trees and stuff. And Nynaeve's like, really? And he's like, well, they do look like it. And Moraine does something unusual and confirms it. He's like, well, some of them do want it. But her when she looks over... Yeah. Just another example of Nynaeve just being needlessly antagonistic. I'm well, sorry. She's, as much as she's, as much as I love her, she will just pick you up on anything. She's she's one of those people who's like a hyper realist, where it's like, oh, come on, this isn't a fairy tale, and, you know, in the middle of being in the blight, with the ability to channel magic, in a world with three boys from your town being the hope of the world, allegedly, you know, Actually, totally not a fairy a fairy tale at all. Woman, we we got attacked by a man with an eagle for a face. Just what? what makes you think that anything's actually worth it? Like actually, like eagle um, with a face. What you know, Trollocs. You know, just like, oh, like a big yeah. animal <laughs> appearances. Just like what makes you think that anything that you do actually applies in the current situation? Yeah, and then again, then again, I actually it was a funny conversation that I had recently with um. Uh, my mom, of all people, just found here, like, the whole idea of, um, well, I don't know, like, uh, just the idea of uh, atheism in, like, a fantasy setting when, like, you know that the gods exist. And, like, that idea was just funny to me. Just being well, like, oh, you know, the gods don't it's exist. Silly... It's like, I healed your broken leg by the divine power of the gods. What are you on about? Yeah, the, the, the blatantness of it would be absolutely absurd but that's why it's called yeah, ad absurdum fallacies because the, to say that like oh the gods that i literally just like zeus just came back <laughs> just came by shook my hand gave me a a spare piece of lightning bolt that i could use to protect my farm instead of using like an ar-15 uh, like oh no zeus doesn't exist what are you talking about of course he exists he just walked right by you like it would be absurd to think that he doesn't exist uh, that, that reminds me of a uh world building thing which i will actually have to talk to you about after the record so <laughs> anyway Alrighty then um but when moraine mentions that the some of the trees do want to she's looking over and her eyes are just like they could pound nails into wood let's put it that way um but she's like but they don't they want no part of what i am because my presence protects you so matt laughs very uneasily as if he's thinking it's a joke I'm like, I don't think she's joking, dude. <laughs> oh, when when has she ever joked? I mean, actually, actually she probably danced. has. Like, she's done other things. I mean, she probably has, but I can't think of any examples at the moment. So. Yeah, I'm I'm right there. With she, you. she hasn't pulled anyone's leg. I, I think that's the main thing. She's not a prankster like Matt, but she could protect. She, I think, I can imagine her telling a joke, but knowing that her telling a joke, people will take her seriously because she's always serious about it. <laughs> <laughs> so but i we know she knows how to have fun because she danced and whatnot i think it was at uh barrel in the inn if i remember correctly 
when Nynaeve yeah. and everyone, Nynaeve, Moraine, and everybody danced with Rand and all them. Um, but Rand's not so sure that, you know, it's a joke. And he's like, well, it is the blight. And he's taking that mentality of this place is fantastical because it's always been a fantastical thing in stories and whatnot. But I'm here so I can tell it's legit. But he's like, well, the trees don't move. Why would a tree grab a man even if he could? We're imagining things. And she's just trying to keep us alert. And then he looks off to his left into the forest. And then the tree, not 20 paces away, had trembled. And it wasn't his imagination. And he wasn't sure what kind it was or had been or anything. It's just kind of this gnarled, tormented figure of, of a tree. And... As he's watching it, the tree suddenly whips back and forth again, bends down, flailing on the ground, and then he hears something scream, shrill and piercing. The tree sprang straight back up, and its limbs entwined around a dark mass that writhed and spat and screamed. So it basically just ate, it just like grabbed something to eat it. So he's like, everything he just thought in his brain just went out the window. So, you know, great things to find in the blight, man. Alright. And... So he's, you know, trying to get Ed, Red, his horse, to edge away from the trees, but he's got trees on all sides of them. And they're all, and, well, I'm not sure if it's supposed to be Red trembling or the trees trembling, but I'm pretty sure both of them probably apply. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I think it's a fair assumption to make. Because, I mean, Red's eyes are rolling, and he's got his whites pretty much everywhere. And... Basically, everyone's just, like, clumped together again. So, Rand's, you know, stuck in the solid knot of horses. And Land's just like, all right, guys, keep moving. And he pulls his sword, and, you know, he's wearing his steel-back gauntlets. Like, he's prepared for war. Um, yeah. He's also got his gray-green scale tunic. Actually, that that was one thing which I wanted to comment about. Because I don't, I'm pretty certain that we didn't actually get, like, an initial description on, like, what Land was armed with, like, in terms of armor and all that. I think his stuff was packed away, is where it was. So that means that he's been unarmored this entire time. I think he's perfectly dangerous enough without armor. <laughs> I know, I, I think that just speaks to his ability that he went toe-to-toe -to -toe with a, um... Was... Murdral? I'm, I'm sorry, I just had a brain fire, I was gonna say Murloc, or just like the words Murdral and Murloc. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, just the words just smashed together and I was like, I'm so tired. The, the most, so, yeah, the most, ter the most terrifying yeah. creature in the world. Half Murdral, half Trolloc. Murloc. <laughs> oh, they're, they're totally not terrifying at all, so. I didn't know this was apparently the time machine. But yeah, just just like going to like toe to toe with the um way merch roll, just you know completely unarmored. You know, I think I think that just speaks to his. He's ability. a master swordsman, so I don't see why that yeah, would be that so. weird. Um, well, but, you know, even master swordsman, you know, can probably get well, messed up. He had five. Creatures. He had five teachers, all of which were the best at what they do, and he's learned a lot of stuff. He has a willpower of iron it's not going to change anytime soon i'd say more like titanium his willpower is of titanium he's not going to bend or anything he he's doesn't matter if he takes damage now keep in mind the water bond gives him bonuses too so he can sense things that more normal people can't sense he has 
better like stamina, like running, fighting, and whatnot. So he can go a lot longer without sleep than people typically can and whatnot. It's if there's but there's benefits to being a warder, but you could argue that they're not necessarily better benefits hmm. when living your entire life stuck to an Aes Sedai. I, I mean, I'm just, I'm, I'm just laughing. <laughs> I'm just laughing because um, I've looked into the. I don't know if any, like you or any of the uh, any of our dear listeners have um, played or actually yeah played played the game or the RPG of uh, Dragon Age. I mean, I have, but I don't know about anybody yeah, else. Obviously, but, like, but um, in the tabletop game, uh, any character can become a Grey Warden, which reads very similar to warders within like the setting and it like you just get like a whole bunch of like bonuses to your class and everything like that. Yeah, that's that's from that. like a liquid or something if I remember correctly that they drink. But uh you okay, to equate this with like Wheel of Time, it would basically be like you drinking like truck blood. Yeah. And, and this it like a whole bunch of other things in that you can sort of like become acclimatized to it and sort of like get in tune with the I, I dare say that the water bond is an enhanced version of that. Yeah, so, more really wouldn't surprise me if the whole idea of the Great Wardens actually probably. did sort of like have like its lineage based yeah. within the borders or something like that. Yeah, which well, is always which is always fun when you actually like sort of look through the like etymology of. Um, I think etymology is the wrong, right? Like the right term, but like the whole lineage of like fantasy tropes and such like that which you know is, is, is yeah. interesting when you see it i mean in this regard the water bond for one is like it's a weaving so like an ice die basically applies it I, I think it's typically to the forehead but i mean i think it can technically be applied anywhere um into which it's a bond but it allows the water to sense like shadow spawn it allows them to um have extended stamina and whatnot. Uh, doesn't require as much sleep. It's always prepared, alert, etc. But also gives them a little bit more strength and whatnot. Like it, there, there's a lot of aspects to it that we'll get to. I don't want to ruin it all right now. But the water bond gives him an upper hand that a standard master swordsman probably doesn't have. But again, you have to remember he is like well, for one, he's a borderlander. Borderlanders are probably some of the most hardened soldiers in the series because they're always fighting. They're veterans of countless wars and skirmishes with Trollocs. You know, they don't ever join in on any southern shifting of politics and whatnot. They don't have political fighting with each other up in the north. It's it's nothing like that. They are always just constantly fighting to even survive. So they, by default, create the most... Um, just the most hardy, the most hardened warriors of any type. Like the Shinarans allegedly have some of the best heavy cavalry in all of the world, because they're they're legendary in that regard for what they do, their style, their cultural traits, and whatnot that they utilize in their strategies. Not to mention Algomar is a great captain, so um, we'll learn more about that later. But um, it, they're they're world renowned for what they have, um, I believe the uh, cavalry from Saldea is also renowned. I don't think it's considered heavy cavalry though. I think it's considered like light cavalry and just basic cavalry. Um, but the horse the horsemanship is 
greatly praised kind of all over the place. Even though a Tyran stock is worth a lot of money. Theirs are usually bred for like beauty and grace and smash you in the face kind of thing. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I would say if you put a Tyran horse underneath a Saldean or a Shinaran, you're probably going to have a nasty combination. I don't think they ever cover what Mandarb is. We just know he's a war horse. I don't think they tell us like where he's from, but I would assume he's from the Borderlands. Um, just from no, the, just from the nature of him being extremely familiar with Trollocs and not freaking out like all other southern horses would. Um, like it's something that the horse is used to. But he's a stallion, so who knows? Um, so. Lan tells him to keep moving and to stay with Moraine. And, you know, he turns around, but not a, not around towards the tree and the prey, but the other direction. And he disappears. And Moraine's like, oh, stay close. Stay close. And they're trying to get them all, like, huddled together. And then a roar springs up from where Lan had been. And it's like a big roar. And the, tri the trees are quivering. And when it fades away, everything kind of stills. But the roar comes again, filled with rage and death. And Nynaeve's like, Lan, he... And apparently there's uh, an awful sound, but there's a new note in it. Fear. But then it's gone. And Moraine's like, ah, Lan can take after himself. <laughs> <laughs> Ride, wisdom. So, out of the trees, Lan shows up, holding his sword, well clear of him, and his mount, where it's got black blood stained, and steam's rising from it. And you know, Land wipes the blade clean with the cloth he takes from saddlebag, looking at the steel to make sure he got every spot. Um, drops the cloth and it falls apart before it even reaches the ground. It's basically acid guts. Um, and even the fragments of it were dissolving. So it's just nasty. And then all of a sudden, a massive body mm. leaps out of the trees at them and the water spun his horse, Mandarb. But even as he rears... Ready to like hit him with steel shot hooves. Matt's arrow goes right into the guy's one eye in the head that seemed mostly mouth and teeth. So how's that for a lovely scene? Um, basically, it you know goes back kicking and screaming with an arrow through its eye. So obviously it's gonna hurt if not kill it. Yeah, that that have a house of suck. Yeah, for that guy. Yeah, um, it falls basically literally one jump short of them. And I didn't mention it earlier, but when Matt's like, are we going to leave? Like, what's he doing? Are we going to leave? He had notched an arrow. So that's explains that he didn't just like randomly like, Oh, I'll pull my arrow out and my bow and whee at the last second. He was, he was prepared for this. Um, and Rand's looking as they pass and it's got, you know, stiff hair, like long bristles. It had too many legs joining a body as big as a bear, but at all angles. Um, some of them at least were coming out of its back and pretty much useless so for walking, it's like, but had it's finger like lung claws. I'm, I'm sort of just imagining like a giant kind of spider arrangement right now. I'm thinking like match, uh, Machamp or something for Pokemon. I don't know. That's even worse. <laughs> but with one eye instead of two. No, I hate it. Uh. No. <laughs> I told you it gets worse. Oh, it, it, Literally, I'm I'm sorry. Like, I'm I'm trying to remember. It's Machoke, Machamp, Machop. Wait, no, no. it's Machop, Machoke, 
Machamp. Yeah, just I'm I'm sorry, just see like the final form. It's just no, I don't want to deal with that. Just leave me alone. <laughs> I don't I don't need that in my life. Just no. So um we're gonna come across some other creepy creatures here that are actually worse, and then there's some that aren't even, even mentioned. Even that worse, are worse than even worse than Pokemon, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not saying Pokemon's worse, I'm saying something like that put in real life with that kind of freakiness would be worse. Like think if Machamp had uh, if Machamp had finger long claws and one eye and too many arms, like obviously Machamp has too many arms, but if he had more arms than that. Almost like a, a yeah. millipede or a centipede. Yeah, I know about that. <laughs> <laughs> so Land, you know, comes back up, he's not even looking at the thing behind him that's dying, and he's like, Good shooting, sheep herder. Re- referring to Matt. And yeah. Moraine's like, it shouldn't have been willing to come this close to someone who touches the true source. And Land's like, well, Agamar said the blight stirs, and maybe the blight knows the web is forming in the pattern. So Moraine's like, well, we gotta get over the high passes quickly. But even as she's, you know, saying this, the blight rises up against them. Trees whip in, reaching for them, not caring if Moraine touched the source or not. Um, Rand's sword is in his hand. He didn't remember even pulling it out, but he's, you know streaking out at them cutting through corrupted limbs i always remember that one episode or the group of episodes in one piece where all the trees have like souls in them so they're trying to capture all the make characters and the crew and everything and it's kind of reminds me of this but this is probably a lot worse um wait wait you you read one piece or watch one piece yes oh you poor soul no it's actually pretty good it's pretty entertaining no, it's just so long. I'm I'm sorry. There's the one turn off for me. It's like it's interesting. I'll, 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 it's interesting. I'll give you that. But it's like, no. This is a long series. I love long series because long series means more detail and less lazy writing. If you have like a one book series, it's like, well, they didn't really put too much in this because they came to the conclusion pretty quick. Yeah, grant. Yeah, granted, but you know, I have a life to live. Believe it or not, I, I, I have stuff to it. do. I don't believe just, it. I have stuff. I have stuff to do. I you don't know? believe it's just... it. It's it's not true. You don't have anything to do because you're here doing this, obviously. So anyway, <laughs> damn <laughs> the burn. Um, so maybe like... BTFO once again. Why does this keep happening? <laughs> It's your, it's your destiny. Um, so all these branches are trying to grab them. They're cutting off the limbs and everything. And they're like wriggling snakes trying to grab him around his waist, neck. And they got their teeth, you know, all that stuff. And he's pulling his own teeth out. Like, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be doing this. And, you know, Manetherin blood in the two rivers he starts screaming manetherin 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 because <laughs> you know that will make it so much better but hey that's what he does so i i, I won't lie i did find that kind of inadvertently hilarious just <laughs> him just surround screaming just, ah, manetherin! Ah! Manetherin! as he's slashing at trees who don't care he's from manetherin um but you know in his standing in the syrups matt is just plowing arrows into the forest, striking at deformed shapes that are snarling and gnashing uncounted teeth. Keep that in mind. For the shafts that killed them, but um, they have clawed forms trying to get over them, reaching the guys on horses, our party. 
and Matt's lost in the president. And I love this part because it's the, the old tongue, and I'm going to try to do it without screwing up, but this is going to be fun. Karai on Kaldazar, he shouted as he drew Fletchling to his cheek and loosed. Karai on Alessande, Al Alessande, Mordoro Dogen, Pastuente, Quebiar, Alessande. I just, I just love it. Karayan Kaldazar is one of the coolest phrases you can shout. It means for the honor of the Red Eagle. But uh, okay, it's pretty nifty. Interesting. Yeah, old tongue can be really fun to play with. Um, so Perrin's also standing in his stirrups, but silent and grim. He's in front, and he has an axe <laughs> in a forest of trees trying to catch them. <laughs> And he is just wailing on everything. And they're all like, the trees are like legitimately like backing away from him because he's just slashing through them. And they're like backing away, not just because he's slashing them, but also because of his fierce golden eyes. So there's a lot going on. And he just forces his horse forward. Uh, and Aaron just proving himself to be a complete Chad once again. Uh, this He's, he's a stocky one, that Perrin. Um, but Moraine's shooting fireballs and things are exploding into torches and burning away. Um, you know, this one, there's a tooth-shaped shriek and it beats at itself with human hands as it rents its own burning flesh with fierce claws until it dies. I mean, how's that for a wonderful image to have in your... What is it, a menagerie? <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. So I, I'm just seeing, trying to work out the, the initiative system right now. Just, <laughs> right. Initiative it's system is everyone for yourself. <laughs> so um, land charges into the trees with Mandar. He's dripping in blood and, you know, uh, he comes back. You know, more often there's more gashes in his armor and he's bleeding gashes in his flesh and his war horse is stumbling and bleeding too. And each time the Aes paused to lay her hands on his wounds and when she took him away, only the blood was left on unmarked flesh. Um, and Moraine's not happy particularly with this little uh, incident in the woods because with her using the one power, she's lighting signal fires for halfmen. So any halfmen within miles of them is like ooh something's going on over there let's go check it out and while these things that they're fighting are bad having an army of halfmen descend upon them would also be pretty bad mm. um, so she tells them to press on and then you know they're moving at a slow pace but trying to get through everything because they're just hacking away at everything so I, I i wonder if people misunderstood like the first time i did i read this the first time and you know being a kid i was like oh this is really cool and I'm thinking they're, like, flying through a forest. No, 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 no. They're going, like, at a crawl. They're trying to get through this, but they're just hacking away at everything to cut away through. It's like if you went to a jungle. You can't just run through the jungle. You have to stop and cut branches and things that can trip you up or, you know, yeah, fall into a bog take, or something. Take, yeah, just take, take a machete to everything. Yeah. And, like they're saying here, they made their way one slow pace at a time. It's not something really fast, so it'll be interesting. It, I doubt they'll have this in the TV series, but if they do, they I hope they don't do it with Me, them rushing through I it. Do, I, don't, I don't know. I, 
I'm yet to sort of think about like the shape that the show will take. I, I think it's like a bit too far in the story to uh, sort of guesstimate as it goes. I mean, this is going to be part of the first season, so. Well, you know, it, it's just the whole thing of the, like you have to see the style of the first few episodes to sort of be like, okay, this is how. The oh, I I don't think things. they're going to add this. In. I don't think they'll deem it important enough or have any relevance or anything. I, I think they would probably have this as like an action set piece, but I don't think. No. I think they'll. Be, I think it will just be like a sort of like, oh no, some ambush and then just like you know mass fight and then like they escape and you know that's pretty much it. I sincerely doubt they're going to use this. If they do use it, power to them. But I I don't think they are going to use it. They're they're having to cut so much meat off of this thing. There's going to be nothing but bones for the TV series. Um, not not in the limited amount of episodes and seasons they are giving themselves. I I just don't see it. Um, but who who knows? They could prove me wrong. Oh well. So we'll yeah. go ahead and have you pick up this next part, good sir. Well, I guess last thought, uh, you know, just try to go go into everything with uh, open minds and all that. But anyway. <clears throat> if the trees had not yet struck into the mass, a mass of attacking flesh as much as either humans, if the creatures, no two alike, had not he fought the trees and eat one another as much as he to reach them, Rand was he sure they would he have he been overwhelmed. He was not certain it would he ha- not happen still. Then a fluting cry arose here behind them. A distant and thin. It cut you through the snarl- snarling from the denizens of the blight around them. In an instant, the snarling ceased, as if it had been sliced off with a knife. The attacking shapes froze. The trees went still. As suddenly as the other things with their legs had appeared, they melted away, vanishing into the twisted forest. The 3D shrill came again, like a cracked shepherd's pipe, and was answered in kind by a chorus, half a dozen, singing among themselves, far behind. Worms. Lan said grimly, bringing a moan from Loyal. They've been giving us a respite. They have a time to even use it. His eyes measured it. His eyes measured ring at the distance yet he to me at the mountain. Few things in the blight will face a worm. Can't be avoided. He dug his heels into Mandob's flank. Right. The whole party plunged after him. Though he though a blighty that he had suddenly seemed to be truly dead. Except he avoided the piping behind. They were scared off by worms? Matt said incredulously. He was bouncing in his saddle trying to sling a zebra across his back. A worm. There was a sharply difference in the way the water said it from the way Matt had. It can kill a fade. If the fade has any of the Dark One's own luck with it. We, we have an entire pack on our trail. Right. Right. The Dark Peaks here were closer now. An hour, Randall estimated, at the pace where the water was setting. Weren't the, weren't the worms here for us to the mountains? McWayne asked, breathlessly, 
Rankave a sharp laugh. They won't. Rumors are afraid of it while lives in the high passes. Loyal moaned again. <laughs> come, come on, Loyal, you're moaning as every, much as a teenager. Every, every, everything that's chasing them, attacking them right now in this forest of dead twigs, leaves, trees, monsters, and everything... As soon as they hear the shrill, really shrill voice, they just stop dead in their tracks. I'm just imagining like a cartoonish thing where like, you know, you got monsters holding each other by the necks, throttling each other. And you got trees throttling it while the creatures are also throttling the trees. And then like you just hear this shriek and all the faces all look at the same direction and just stop what they're doing. And then they all like let go simultaneously and just disappear. <laughs> trees just stop moving they're just like oh nope not gonna do anything and oh it's just so comical when i see that in my head but i mean obviously it's much more grim and dark than that um and then they find out you know well we got worms from land and then you got loyal going oh <laughs> i gotta want worms he's <laughs> like well we got respite for only a moment let's use it and they're like charge um and the fact that everything fled or reverted to a state where they're not moving because they don't want to draw the attention of the worms means that worms are pretty bad now matt being matt he's thinking these are like worms that you stick on the end of the hook of your fishing pole and throw it into the water like it's a little itty bitty worm. Why are they scared of little worms? And then Lan's like, yeah, a worm can kill a fade if the fade hasn't the dark ones unlock. We have an entire pack being a pack being six. Um, like, they're right behind us. Let's go. And Egwene's like, well, won't they just follow us in the mountains? And Lan's like, ha! He's like, they won't. They're afraid of what lives in the high passes. <laughs> It's just like, so every, oh, everything attacking us right this instant is terrified of worms, but worms are terrified of the things oh, in the high passes. Just, I, I don't know if you've played it, the uh, fortunately, unfortunately game. It's been like, uh, fortunately, yeah. I went out into the shops because I was hungry. Unfortunately, it started raining. Fortunately, I brought, I brought an umbrella. Unfortunately, I got struck by lightning. <laughs> fortunately, it's I was grounded to the ground, or grounded to the ground. <laughs> yeah, just, just going back and forth by that forever. Just... Un unfortunately, nobody else was. Um, yeah, just, I've know, never like, played that, that, but I think that would be a very interesting game. Um, uh, it's just, it, it goes on forever. So, <laughs> the, there's all this, all these different monstrosities going through and like attacking and whatnot. You know, no longer a problem. We got worms as a problem. But if we make it to the high passes, worms won't be a problem. Something else will be a problem. But Rand keeps, like, heard Loyal moan twice in this time frame. And he's like, I really wish he would stop doing that. <laughs> like, I know he knows a lot about the Blight, pretty much more than everybody except for Lan. Even if it's from reading books and safety. But why does he have to keep reminding me that there's worse than what we've seen? <laughs> why does he have to tell us that the worst is yet to come? <laughs> like, come on. Um, so they're flying past the blight. You got weeds, grasses, slashing, rotten under galloping hooves. Like it, it's like you're walking on wet, gooey flesh. It's, it's just kind of nasty. 
but even though it's nasty, it's, you know, not really noticeable considering they're too busy worrying about worms and stuff. Um, so the mountain of doom or the mountains of doom are getting closer and closer and closer and not to be confused with Mount doom from Lord of the Rings. It's doom is capital D H O O M. Um, but the, the shrill piping noise becomes sharper and clearer and you can hear the squishing sounds behind them louder than the things that are under the hooves. So it's basically like all those monsters that were trying to capture them earlier are now getting just crushed underneath these worms. And Rand looks over his shoulder and, you know, you're just seeing treetops get like run over like, you know, wet grass in your yard, just flattened, crushed and everything. But then the land's starting to slope a little bit upwards towards the mountains. So we're kind of at the foothills at this point. And he knows, like, we're climbing. He's like, let's hope we get it. And I'll have you pick up this part, good sir. We're not going to make it. Len announced. It did not slow Mandob's gallop, but his sword will suddenly in his hands again. Watch yourselves in the high passes. Rain. And you'll get through. No, Lan! Nanib called. Be quiet, girl. Lan, even you cannot stop me one pack. I will not have it. I will need you here for the you here for the eye. Arrows! Matt called you breathlessly. The wormsy wouldn't even eat feel them. Water shouted. They must be cut here to pieces. Don't feel it much either but hunger. Sometimes fear. So, Lan's like, we're trying to get to the high passes to get the worm pack off of our trail because the worm pack won't follow us up there. But there's obviously something worse up there than a worm pack. So, he's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold you guys rear guard and make sure they don't follow ahead. And it's like, Nynaeve being, you know, the currently heartbroken, emotional young lady she is, um... She's like, no, don't do it. And Morange is like, you know what? Nani, he's he's kind of my border, so you can shush. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, <laughs> like, whatever you're saying, just shush. And then kind of pulls over to Lan is like, you can't even stop a worm pack. That's six worms. Like, I'm one merge all against, you know, one worm. That's that's not really a fair fight for the merge roll. Lan can best a merge roll, but maybe he could kill one worm, but not six simultaneously. Like it would be basically suicide, is what he's insinuating. But he's like, hey, the world's at stake. I will do what I have to do, and Nynaeve doesn't want him to. But Rain's like, but I need you for the eye, and Matt's like, well. We could plow them with arrows. And it's like, eh, they're not going to even feel them. They got to be cut to pieces. They don't really have any feelings except for hunger and occasionally fear. So this is where I wanted to kind of add a little bit of history. And I sent you that image um, of what a worm looks like. It's not the greatest image in terms of everything considered, but... That's essentially what a worm looks like. 
in terms of its horrendousness, which I think would be an epic D&D character monster thing. But a worm, its actual name is a Jumara. So we'll learn we'll learn about them later on a bit more. But I wanted to share some information um, that we'll probably learn again later on. But just to kind of paint the picture, since this is where we kind of see worms for the most part of the series. So a Jumara is known as a worm, and it's a type of a shadow spawn that was created by one of the forsaken Aganor. Um at some point, either before or during the War of Power, which we've kind of gone over the War of Power a little bit. Um, and they dwell in the Blight. Um, a worm, or a Jamara, is actually only the larval stage. So... I'm sorry, why did you have to say that? Just, <laughs> just straight up, just... Why did you have to bring that forsaken information into my life? I'm the, sorry. Just... Because the forsaken made them. Um, but <laughs> so the image I sent you is an adult. And okay. if you notice in that image, right down the bottom left corner, there's the, the artist's signature. Above the end of the signature is a person. No. <laughs> yes. No, I, yes. I, don't want, I don't want to deal with this. Yes. So basically, um, the ones that they run into in the blight won't transform into the full-fledged one. They're not sure why, but something causes them to transform into their adult forms. So a smaller version, a slightly different version than the picture you're seeing is what's currently chasing them. Six of them. Um, yeah, nah, I'm not about that. No. <laughs> Jamara are extremely dangerous and they appear as large worms and their movement makes a very loud squishing sound. Now, I think that has to do with the ground they're walking on, not necessarily their feet. I don't think they have like wet shoes on every time they step their sock wetness goes or anything, but I think that was misunderstood. Um, but they travel in groups called worm packs. Um, a person can hear a Jumara cry to one another with a really shrill of a chorus. Um, as we mentioned earlier, a single Jumara can kill a Merdral. Um, most of the terrifying creatures in the Blight will flee from a Jumara, although Jumara themselves are scared of whatever creatures live in the high passes in the Blasted Lands. Um, they are very effective at overtaking their prey. In order to survive an encounter with the Jamara, the worm must be cut to pieces. Like, a lot of slicing and dicing. Um, this one I'm going to have to use more slow down and more paraphrasing than I usually would because it involves things later on in the story. Um, adult Jamara are multi-pedaled insectoid creatures and are vastly more dangerous than their juvenile forms. They are covered in spines and tentacles, particularly around their mouth, and grow to gigantic size. Um, direct use of the one power against them serves only to make them stronger. So Moraine is absolutely worthless against a worm. Put it that way. Um, it's speculated that the Forsaken Aganor, when he uh, 
created the Jumara had not intended for them to serve in the Shadow's armies, but just wanted to create them just to see how horrifically monstrous a creature he could engineer. Oh, okay. That's that's literally the reason. Like these things are shadow spawn, but not so they could, you know, be in the Trolloc ranks. I mean, can you imagine what happened if you took these and loosed these on the south? Woo! That'd be oh, pretty bad. There's like a uh, comic, which I'm just trying to remember, like, it's like, oh, we created something that screams. It's like, why would you do that? And then it is a scientist just going, like, hmm. Because well, we that's can. The, just in the background, there's just screaming sounds. Just, just been like, hmm, I don't actually know. Basically. Why? Why would you now, do this? Now, here comes even some more important information, and we'll learn this later on in the series, but the Jumara, okay. adult Jumara, are basically pretty much immortal unless you slay them. And they can go into hibernation for a millennia. And then wake up so, if somebody, like, prey happens to touch one of their tentacles or spines. Okay, so they're basically a Tarask, then. I don't know what Tarask is. No, <laughs> D&D nuts unite! Yeah, uh, I'd like to think I'm a D&D nerd, but I don't have everything memorized since there's like no, to, books. To ask, basically, like the most annoying creature to deal with. Like they are resistant to magic. Like their scales literally like cause magic to bounce off them. They go into hibernation. They're impossible to kill. Well, they're not yeah, impossible they're, they're... to kill. Nothing is impossible <laughs> to kill. Well, you, you can kill it, but, like, the effort to kill it is basically renders it impossible on, like, the terms of, like, the actual... There's a couple unique ways I can think of to kill him, but we'll get to that later. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so, an adult Jumara is about pretty, pretty easily 100 feet long. Um... A person later on in the series has an encounter with them, and if he hadn't known what it was, and didn't, and if he hadn't known what it was or known how to kill it, he probably wouldn't have survived. And that's a very powerful person. So, Jumara are nothing to shake a stick at. Like these things. <laughs> that's kind of a blight pun, but sorry, because um, <laughs> we learned about sticks last episode. But, um, yeah, th these things are pretty terrifying. Um, let's just say you don't want to run one into one climbing out of your toilet. But, <laughs> so, yeah, um, they're pretty much invulnerable to arrows. Yeah, you you have to, it, it's, I, I don't even know, like, how you're supposed to cut these things into pieces. Because, like, we... Most things in the blight, like their blood is like an acid for metal, like it rots it. So like if you're trying to cut through a worm, you'd have to like use a bazillion swords to cut through it or a billion axes or something. Because every time you cut through it, it's going to be coated and it's going to eat through your metal before you can cut to the next one, which means it's not going to probably cut as well the next shot. So I don't, I don't even know how you do that. Um, but after this... You know, Rand's holding to his saddle with a death grip. I always love the term death grip. I don't know why. Um, but he's trying to loosen his shoulders tightness because they're pretty tight from him clenching over. Um, but his whole chest feels tight and he doesn't feel like he can even breathe. And 
because it's so hot out, you know, he's got these little pinpricks of heat. And now the blight had turned into foothills and the route they got to climb is pretty obvious amongst them. It's a twisting path with the high pass beyond. And it looks kind of like you got a mountain and there's like a giant axe cut right in the middle of it. That's what it looks like. Um, and he's like, what is like, like what's up ahead? That's going to scare what's behind us. It's like, I've never been so afraid. I don't want to go any further. And he's trying to seek the flame in the void. But he's, you know, arguing with himself in his mind. You know, it's like, you fool, frightened, cowardly fool. Can't stay here and you can't go back. Are you going to leave Egwene to face it alone? You know, because his other friends are just chopped liver. Um, and he can't seem to grasp the void. And it keeps, like, forming and falling apart, forming, falling apart over and over and over. And each time it just kind of gets worse and worse. And he's like, oh, I can't, I can't do this. And it's his last phrase, just light help me. And then I'm going to cover this part. He was gathering the bay's reins to turn back to face the worms or anything rather than what lay ahead. When the nature of the land changed between one slope of a hill and the next, between crest and peak, the blight was gone. Green leaves covered peacefully spreading branches. Wildflowers made a carpet of bright patches and grasses stirred by sweet spring breeze. Butterflies fluttered from blossom to blossom with buzzing bees and birds trilling their songs. Gaping, he galloped on until he suddenly realized that Moraine and Lan and Loyal had stopped. The others, too. Slowly, he drew rein, his face frozen in astonishment. Egwene's eyes were about to come out of her head, and Nynaeve's jaw had dropped. We have reached safety, Moraine said. This is the green man's place, and the eye of the world is here. Nothing of the blight can enter here. I thought it was on the other side of the mountains, Rand mumbled. He could see he could still see the peaks filling the north horizons and the high passes. You said it was always behind, beyond the passes. This place, said a deep voice from the trees, is always where it is. All that changes is where those who need it are. A figure stepped out of the foliage. A man shape, as much bigger than loyal as the Ogier was bigger than Rand. A man shape of woven vines and leaves, green and growing. His hair was grass, flowing to his shoulders, his eyes huge hazelnuts, his fingernails acorns. Green leaves made his tunic and trousers seamless bark, his boots. Butterflies swirling around him, lightning lighting on his fingers, his shoulders, his face. Only one thing spoiled the verdant perfection. A deep fissure ran up his cheek and temple across the top of his head, and in that the vines were brown and withered. The green man, Egwene whispered, and the scarred face smiled. For a moment it seemed as if the birds sang louder. Of course I am. Who else would be here? 
The hazelnut eyes regarded Loyal. It is good to see you, little brother. In the past, many of you came to visit me, but a few of recent days. Loyal scrambled down from his big horse and bowed formally. You honor me, tree brother. Singu ma choshi tingshan. Smiling, the green man put an arm around the ogre's shoulders. Alongside Loyal, he looked like a man beside a boy. There is no honoring, little brother. We will sing tree songs together and remember the great trees and the steading and hold the longing at bay. He studied the others, just now getting down from their horses, and his eyes lit on Perrin. A wolf, brother! Do the old times truly walk again, then? Rand stared at Perrin. For his part, Perrin turned his horse so it was between him and the green man, and bent to check the girth. Rand was sure he just wanted to avoid the green man's searching gaze. Suddenly, the green man spoke to Rand. Strange clothes you wear, child of the dragon. Has the wheel turned so far? Do the people of the dragon return to the first covenant? But you wear a sword. That is neither now nor then. Rand had to work moisture in his mouth before he could speak. I don't know what you're talking about. What do you mean? The green man touched his brown scar across his head. For a moment, he seemed confused. I cannot say. My memories are torn and often fleeting, and much of what remains is like leaves visited by caterpillars. Yet, I am sure. No, it is gone. But you are welcome here. You, Moraine Sedai, are more than a surprise. When this place was made, it was made so that none could find it twice. How have you come here? Need, Moraine replied. My need. The world's need. Most of all is the world's need. We have come to see the eye of the world. The green man sighed, the wind sighing through thick-leafed branches. Then it has come again. That memory remains whole. The dark one stirs. I have feared it. Every turning of years, the blight strives harder to come inside, and this turn, the struggle to keep it out, has been greater than ever since the beginning. Come, I will take you. Whew. That's a booming voice I don't do normally. That's not how I sound normally. <laughs> ah, well, I'm curious to think what you think about that passage, Mister James. Uh, or should I man? call you Mister Bond? No. <laughs> it's just no. Double O seven then? No. <laughs> All right, what do you think? I don't know, I just like I do I do find like the concept of the green man to be quite 
interesting. Like, we, we, we went with this, like, prior to the recording of, like, looking at him via the, um, through the sort of, like, Mythological uh, aspect of the Green Man. Yeah, the mythological lens of the the Green Man. Yes, I know. I kind of wasn't expecting it to be sort of so as such. I was expecting some sort of like kind of nuance to him. What do you mean? But like, well, I mean, like, you know, sort of like him, like, sort of being a person to fulfill a certain role. Where that, whereas, like, he is is sort of like an embodiment of everything so and you were like, just expecting like a gardener just like a normal person is a gardener is what you're thinking of well i mean like sort of just like the whole thing of like i th- I, th- I think the position that i'm taking it from is that like i was expecting someone to become the green man whereas i think from the the interpretation that i take away is that like the green man has always existed and the scar upon his face is sort of just like the sort of kind of natural rending of the world with like just the corruption of everything. So he is he he's more sort of like the sort of very literal interpretation of just nature, the world in a very, very unbiased form, if that makes sense. I mean he he's literally a construct made of the earth to grow the earth that's well that's at least the interpretation that i have of it i mean yeah i mean it's something you kind of have to go a little further into the deep darkness of guesstimation of like we don't have ridiculous amounts of information except maybe perhaps in like an interview or something with robert jordan but Essentially, these beings of the Green Man are, like, a construct that was made ages before that were to help grow things and stuff. Like, they would plant seeds, sing a song, boom, instant food. So, you could always, you'd never run out of food, essentially, and the soil would always be fertile, and things would grow to great sizes and you'd have these great trees and, you know, great vegetation and all that stuff. Like that was kind of the thing. And the way it's perceived now is that there's just this last green man. Like there's the green man and he's the last remaining one. And he has this little oasis amongst quite literally devastation and corruption (laughs) and not to mention danger. Um, and it's this beautiful place that you're like, why can't I just come back whenever I want? Like, like, why do I have to uh, only have need to find this place? And, uh, yeah. So, that's more or less what's going on with this particular aspect. But, um, I, I did find it funny when, you know, he's he sees Loyal and he's like, ah, little brother. And he's like, ah, tree brother. (laughs) And Loyal's probably like just dancing in his his boots right now. Just like, I get to meet the green man. (laughs) Like he's, he's stoked. He's stoked to be able to see this. And the green man's just like, hey. And keep in mind that like 
Loyal is ridiculously tall compared to humans. Like, I think Ogier anywhere from 8 to 12 feet tall. I think typically is 10 foot's about the regular size. And even in that regard, the green man is the adult to the child that is the Ogier. Like, that's a big difference in size. Um, so, I mean, imagine seeing the green man. You want to be stepping, like, 50 feet away just so you can look at him without hurting your neck or something. Um, but how he treats loyal and everything, you're like, oh, that's that's kind of cool. Well, then he sees Perrin instantaneously. is like, ah, a wolf brother. <laughs> and it's like, but we haven't seen wolf brother, allegedly, since, you know, the early days of mankind. Like, it's such a rarity to have a wolf brother. And we know from the reader perspective about the Wolf Brothers, since we had Elias and obviously Perrin's in our own interactions with the wolves and everything, and the wolves' interactions with Perrin and Elias, and how there's not a whole lot of them around and whatnot. But that puts out to, you know, this thing where, like, Perrin's more than meets the eye. So that can put you out to, like, well, maybe Perrin's the one that the Dark One wants. Maybe the Wolf Brothers could come back through Perrin bloodline lineage or something. And the wolf brothers would just always be against the dark one because the wolves despise and hate the dark one. Um, and ever all the shadow spawn that he creates. So maybe he feels threatened by that. Like that's possibilities in terms of like seeing it as a first time reader. Like what, what is going on? And then he meant, he looks at Rand and says, ah, you know, you're wearing strange clothes, child of the dragon. And he mentions the first covenant and everything. And you like, Oh, well you're wearing a sword and they, that's neither now nor then and for a first time reader. You're like, I don't really understand what's going on right now, which is fair, but we'll get there. Don't worry. Just tuck it away for later. Um, brands like, uh, I don't know what you're talking about. Mostly cause he really doesn't. He's afraid he does, but he doesn't actually know what it means. Um, the phrasing is different than what you might think it is. So it means something different than what you might think it is. And so the green man has this brown scar on his head. And the question of the day is, how did he get this scar? <laughs> and if he has this scar, um, something not so nice probably gave it to him. But if the only thing that can find the green man is need, then how could something find him and intend to hurt him? Because then it wouldn't be need as much as something else. Um, but he, he, a very interesting thing is that, you know, he, he points out Moraine Sedai is like, what an interesting surprise. You, this is the second time you've been here. How'd you get here? And she's like, well, needs the key. And boy, do we have need. <laughs> So, like, well, we, we need the eye of the world. And he's like, well, alrighty. Yeah, I figured this was going to happen one of the days. So, um, he goes and takes, he begins to take him there. So, um, do you have anything left of the chapter that you want to go over that you either were holding off on or something? Or No, nothing's really, uh, Come to mind, aside from, you know, just I really, really don't want to be in the blight whatsoever. What are you talking about? Just 
<laughs> it's like the best vacationing place ever. <sighs> it's even worse, but we have the worst butlands. I'll have you now. <laughs> you have what? It, never mind. British <laughs> joke, whatever. Well, I hate to tell you this, but most of us aren't British. Not yet, anyway. <laughs> Singing the British colonialism, imperialism song again? Uh, imperialism intensifies. Uh, I, I, I doubt Britain will ever be able to imperialize anything. Not the way Britain's going, but... Um, no, no, no. Yeah, give, give us a chance, you know. I'm sorry, there's no chance. You, you, guys, you guys did it to yourselves. Anyway, um... <laughs> You're at fault. You personally, James, you are at fault. Um, but uh, overall, the entire chapter, was there anything particularly that uh, stood out to you beyond, obviously, you not wanting to go to the Blight or anything creepy in the Blight and the fact that worms were absolutely just horrific and that something in the high passes is actually worse than that? I am. Okay. I guess general things. I am interested to see where Nynaeve and Lan's relationship goes. Just, just see well, if, like, let's, let's see if it goes anywhere. Yeah, if, it, <laughs> if anything actually happens, you know that that that's the main thing. Just like if anything actually happens, and you know that's the thing, or if, um, you know, yeah, again, just anything happens. Uh, the second thing, um, is Nine- just Matt. Matt speaking in tongues? That's always interested me. It's not which... he's speaking the old tongue specifically. Well, yeah. Yeah, that was just a generalized thing. It's the blood of Manethrin, man. Jeez. Hey, I'm Irish, but I've never had to like a suddenly you just start speaking Irish for all Gaelic or whatever that just just randomly just I mean, eight moments of high stress. I knew there was something wrong with you, but I couldn't put my finger on it. <laughs> <laughs> what the fact that I'm a raging alcoholic or... <laughs> <laughs> well that I mean that makes sense being Irish but um, <laughs> um no it's like uh, Nynaeve is a very very popular character amongst um, many of the female persuasion fans um, I mean generally, I, actually, actually like I do actually like Nynaeve it's just say that um all characters, I think, to some extent, are likable in their own way. At least the non-pure evil ones. No, no, like, um, I, uh, I would probably have to, like... Okay, if, if I had to do two, like, great favorite characters at this moment, I would probably say Perrin is my number one, and Nynaeve would probably be my second or third. But, like, you know, I haven't actually, like, committed great thought to this at the moment. But, yeah. I couldn't tell you when I first read this who I would be the most interested in, but it was probably Perrin just because I love wolves and wolves are always just like a really cool, well, they're a cool symbol, even when they're not like physical or literal, but they're also pretty stinking cool when they are literal. Like hearing a wolf pack howl together is just most adorable thing in the world, let alone the wolf pups. I, I think I just like, I, I think I just like Perrin just because he's the character which I identify most with in general. That, like, most of the time, if... Okay, if you were to suggest a situation that, like, the characters would find themselves in, my opinion would most likely align with Perrin's. 
the cautious mentality you mean or yeah like i i'm i'm generally like a cautious realistic sort of person just being like you know i would have we, never we... noticed that yeah. <laughs> just been like you know we, we can be hopeful but you know you know temper yourself with, re- with realism yeah i mean i think at this point he's very conflicted but also but, but also like again you know, to bring it back to the main thing, Nynaeve, as, as much as I find her annoying, just like, you know, sort of just like kind of wanting taking down of other characters, she she does have a certain determinist mentality to herself and to the world, which I do find interesting. And... Well, she's definitely a core to Riverfolk, Manetheran blooded person, where she's just absolutely stubborn beyond reason. Um, because that just seems to be a trait for Ebon Fielders and well, the two rivers in general, like anybody who comes out of the two rivers is just downright stubborn. I mean, we see this in Rand, we see this in Matt, we see this in Perrin, even though Rand's technically not from there, he grew up that way. So part of his environment leaked into him. Yeah. It can't be learned, but I, I, I I, do do have Egwene as an obvious, you know, I, I do find it like kind of wanton when she's kind of taking down Matt constantly. It's just like you you're just doing this on purpose now, aren't you? Just <laughs> Well it's like she's he, like he surprised. A, he, says perfectly, he says a perfectly good re- reasonable thing and they're just like oh, Matt just oh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's like yeah, uh, I mean she I, you I've, you known, have to, I've known many women like that just in my life. Just <laughs> you, you have to give her some slack. I, I will I will say give her some slack because yeah, she is used to him saying nonsense. So I will give her that. She is used to hearing him constantly, you know, pull pranks or like, oh look, it says gullible in the ceiling. Oh, so it does. And my lungs are gone. Um <laughs> if you ever seen that clip, that skit, that was great. I'm you ASDF. <laughs> but <laughs> that's right. One of my favorite, one of my favorite skits that they do, uh, but like that's what she's used to seeing or hearing out of Matt. So I can I can give her like partial pause, but at the same time, even through her own admoni- or admonition or admission, I guess um, <laughs> not admonition <laughs> through her own admission, she has seen them as like you guys are no longer kids or boys. You are actually men now, like. From her own viewpoint and her own lips, she has confirmed them as men now, which means they're different than what they were when they left. So in that, she just seems to struggle in uh, catching up to her own viewpoints, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, which I'm, I'm sure she'll probably, possibly, maybe, kind of, hopefully, mild out a little bit. I mean, I don't know. I, I, I don't know if I, you're I, willing to hold your breath for that or not, but um, well, well, the thing is that like, um, I, I kind of wish that this was actually kind of like a pie-based RPG, just because I could sort of like you know kind of experience like sort of. Did you say a pie-based RPG? No party. Oh, I just said pie-based. I'm like, what kind of that is? Like, yeah, I'm the knife. I'm gonna cut based. the pie. Yeah. <laughs> no, no party-based RPG where like you can sort of like have. Uh, characters sort of like interact with each other just because I would I we we did have this earlier on with Naive talking to Perrin but she was also kind of talking more about Perrin 
with Egwene, and Perrin wasn't really like a part of the conversation, even though like you know he he was the prime subject of it. Yeah. So I would, I know, I, I would kind of want to sort of just get like a interaction between like you know Nynaeve and Perrin. I mean, for for everyone it, who it, it, it would be interesting at least for everyone who argues that like Nynaeve is basically you know the best thing since you know fresh bread or you know cut cheese or something. I don't know why anyone would ever hold to a specific character as a character they have always liked from the beginning of the series to the end of the series or hated a character from the beginning of the series to the end of the series just because your perception about them will change because they have this little thing that most series typically don't. It's called character development. Well, And when a character develops, it will change how that character is. And people might not like that change. So if they liked him before they'd stop liking him at the end or vice versa or whatever. And from what I, since I know the whole story, I know that people who are like, Oh, I love this character. I'm like, I'm sure there's aspects you don't like about this character because you don't like how it was written. So, well, okay. If I can interject, cause no, I cannot. I'm not, I, no, okay. Okay. Um, I'm not a hundred percent like privy to the arguments that you're talking to because I feel that these are sort of like random things. But the whole thing is that, like this series has, from what I've read of the first book, it has definitely proven itself to be very character fluid. To mean that like the characters are up to change and. There's actual you know, character uh, development uh, in the game. Yeah, upset, like subjected to change, yeah. because if you were to compare like Perrin from like the start of this, sorry, from the start to the end of this, or just Matt, at, like the height and like from the end of the, from the start of this to the heights of his changes, then to the end of it, you would have like very th- like very different people. Or even, or even Rand. Like Rand, he's gone through quite a lot of things, from start to finish. Most of it traumatic. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately for him. <laughs> yeah, just, it's, I think actually, actually, I think like the person who's kind of least changed is actually Gawain. Really. Well, we haven't really focused on her yet to that extent. No, but but, but the thing time. is that like, d- despite like pretty much all that's really happened, she still kind of holds to these sort of fairy tale ideals. What do you mean? I mean, she ha- she still has a very romantic idea of what Aes Sedai is. Or, and also, well, like, becoming... To be fair, she hasn't gone to Tarvala <laughs> Yeah, I know, yet. but, like, but the thing is that, like, of all the things she's faced, wouldn't she kind of realize that, like, you know, Oh no! This is what an ice die deals with, or would have to deal with, and so she still some, some like so it comes from it comes from this sort of fairy tale romantic idea of what is an ice die and sort of just kind of stuff like that, which is again very childish, in a way. Well, she, I mean, she hasn't. D- I, despite like despite everything that she's gone through, she's 
not really temper to expectations at all. I agree, but I also disagree. The reason, I, I mean, I agree. She doesn't seem to have the character growth that the other characters have, and she kind of holds to a childish thing. Keep in mind, though, I believe she's only 16 at this point. Like, she's young. Okay. So she's not she's not going to have that kind of experience. And she's also not the main target of the dark one. So she doesn't have to grow up at a hyper pace. Okay. Well, the thing is, like, I think I I think we've went over this at a earlier point where we guesstimate or at least I guesstimated the age range of the uh, protagonist. Uh, Again, again, like we we are actually going through to the, the actual ages of the characters, are we? Um, I don't know for the exact ages. Um, let me. Because I'm pretty certain that it was never actually stated for for like who to be what age. So yeah, actually, Egwene is seventeen at this point. So, um, it's unlikely that she's going to have a full encompassing understanding of the world and how things work. So understanding it as like this wishy-washy romanticized version of Aes Sedai is highly realistic for her to have, which the big, the big question is, is she going to hold to that as she learns more? (coughs) That's what's going to be the biggest character development in that regard. (laughs) Well, the thing is, I think for like every progressively worse thing that occurs to the characters throughout the story, I think maybe she would kind of temper her expectations. But yeah, I think well, it's she's also around the- Moraine, and Moraine is okay. If I can actually can't finish. No, no, Sorry. I can't. <laughs> no. Oh no! Ah. <laughs> the gasp. How can we, a podcast focusing on discussion, ever hope to? <laughs> deal with us <laughs> who said we were hoping to <laughs> uh, just i, th- I think up. okay you're all right okay do, do you want to say anything no i'm saying hurry up go okay. damn it why <laughs> <laughs> do you hurry man hurry me man <sighs> we're trying to keep it under two hours come on <laughs> no yes damn you <laughs> you're just making me absolutely lose my spot um you were talking about Egwene. Yes, and I was okay. I think like she's okay. This isn't in, like entirely my reading upon this, and like I believe that maybe she's just wanting to like she's kind of grasping onto and sort of like holding on to this idealized sort of thing, like this I- idealized Stanley the world with like the whole like the whole sort of dream of you know. Okay, after this, like, after everything bad is done, then, you know, I'll, I'll have all in, you know, everyone's going to join me, Nynaeve's going to be there, Matt, like, Matt Perrin and Rand are going to be there, Rand's going to be my warder, you know, it's going to be nice and dandy and happy and nothing bad's ever going to happen. That's kind of the interpretation that I got from basically the last chapter, that she's just... It, it's not self-delusional but it's sort of just the whole idea of that like she's wanting to deny how bad things actually are because to comprehend them is just dire 
I agree, but I slightly disagree. Um, the reason being, for one, her age. 17 years old, I mean, how many, you know, like early teens to late teens do you see these kids like having these outrageous concepts of what life is like? Because they have all their meals paid for for them. They have all their clothes paid for for them. They have no bills. They don't have to apply for all these other things. They don't have to go to work most of the time. You know, like all this stuff is basically taken care of by their parents or their guardians until they become adults and step out into the real world. So it's not completely unreasonable to think that because of her age, she has her own set of expectations. But you also have to put into consideration she has an actual Aes Sedai with her right now. And this Aes Sedai is calm, cool, collected, seems to always have an answer for everything, seems to always, you know, have a way out of any problems or anything. So if anything, Moraine being there and showing her what an Aes Sedai is like is only puffing up her dreams of what she has to expect later on in her life. Like, oh, we'll just, you know, I'll have such a great, easy life once I'm an Aes Sedai. It's going to be great and dandy. I'll have the one power. It'll feel great and amazing being able to have the flow of life go through me. But I'm also going to have Rand by my side as my warder. I'm going to have this and that. And it, it's literally her making a fairy tale at her head. But it doesn't help because the real thing she's got with her right now is saying, like, I've gotten you through all these crazy, outrageous, ridiculous concepts. And it seems like they should have been impossible to do. Like, finding the eye of the world twice. That's supposed to be an impossibility. But she, Moraine's doing it. So it's like, man, Aes Sedai can break the impossible and, you know, achieve the impossible and control the impossible. Like so many things. It's just it's in, it's giving her an inflated sense of what an Aes Sedai is to an extent. But she already had the romanticized concept from stories of Aes Sedai that she was told as a little girl or that the peddlers and the merchant guards and stuff told and whatnot. You've got the ones that are pro Aes Sedai, the anti Aes Sedai, like all this, all this is going around, but she's building up like this little childhood dream. Like, Oh, I would love to be able to be an Aes Sedai and, you know, become something in the world, which isn't a bad concept. It's not bad for them to want to be that. It's just what they think is actually going to happen and what will actually happen are not necessarily the same thing. And it's the need to actually grow up and learn about it that you don't see her doing right now, but we can hope that she will do later down the road. It's not guaranteed, but we can hope. So I, I think I can cut her some slack because she hasn't really stepped into adulthood yet. Um, the, the boys, like Rand, Matt, and Perrin, have had to grow up a lot quicker. But even so, they still hold a little bit to their former personalities. Perrin's still thoughtful and the gentle giant. He's cautious and whatnot, but now he seems to react less to things that he would have when he was 
back in the two rivers before becoming this wolf brother kind of character. Matt is the, quite the prankster and whatnot, but he's also becoming more of a realist in terms of like, Hey, there's things chasing us. Can we use arrows on them? Like he's, he's trying to evolve into a survivalist. And while he still has like a sense of humor, it's changed from the sense of humor he had. It used to be like, Hey, let's unleash a badger into a bunch of girls that are, you know, hanging out or whatever. And, you know, watch them and laugh our heads off to, you know, trying to make light of a certain situation and then realizing it's falling flat on its face. And now he's going to like have this identity crisis of like, I'm, I can't believe I just said that. <laughs> but then he starts to say things that would seem fantastical had they been in any other circumstance than the one they are at. But because now it's like, it's fantastical. Nynaeve gives him a hard time. It's like, but legit, like we're already in a fantastical situation. So why not expect fantastical stuff? So he's almost becoming a realist out of this, which is interesting. Um, then you have Rand. Rand spent the entire time basically nonstop worrying about his friends, but most specifically worrying about Egwene. But he also has this struggle in him to worry about her. Not because she needs protection or not because she doesn't need protection, but because of what Min said. Like, the, both of them, Rand and Egwene, have had this thing, and let alone the entire two rivers, have had this constant idea that Egwene and Rand are going to become a thing. Even though Rand's obviously a little bit older and whatnot, but they're going to be a thing. And that's going to be a thing. And that thing will end up bringing out more little things <laughs> pun intended but um that was everyone's thought process that's what Egwene and rand currently hold to or at least rand did until barrelon when men's like she is not for you nor you for her meaning he's he's he has conflicting concepts right now about Egwene. he has the the one concept saying hey i like her and I want to, I want to be with her, but also we're not going to ever be together. Like somebody who tells the truth says that the person who told you this doesn't lie. It's like, okay, so now I'm stuck because whatever she said means it's going to happen. And I want to like, he, he when she asked him, like, you want to be my warder and come with us to Tarvalin? He, he like, he, that's what he wants. That's his ideal situation besides obviously going home, but that's his ideal situation. But he doesn't like put enough heart into it. Like he's drowning in her eyes, but he can't put heart into it because he knows it's not going to be. So he's kind of conflicting in himself, but his goal is still like, even if we're not meant to be, I still want to protect her. And people argue she doesn't need protection or that she does need protection. It's completely irrelevant. The whole point is in the story, if somebody came up with a sword and she wasn't watching, she would die if she wasn't protected by somebody else who was watching. That's legitimately why I said I have orders. Because they need someone to keep an eye on them. That's that's the, that's the whole basis of having a warder. They don't have orders because they need a Kirk or not Kirk, a clerk or a scribe, or someone to follow them around and write notes for them and scribble things for them. They have plenty of those. They don't need to have a warder for that. They have a warder because a warder means protection from harm. A warder is literally a security firm that you hire, but they never go away. <laughs> you don't pay them. 
and they are always around you. They know what you're thinking. You know what they're thinking and all that fun stuff. Like it's, it's a whole nother can of worms and not the, uh, growing Jam Jamari type, but <laughs> me and my puns, man, I'm really going to harm somebody with these. Um, but <laughs> James will be here physically wilting. Make it stop. Uh, <laughs> I, I do not deem you for an answer. <laughs> but no, does that any of that make sense though about like the characters and their growth and whatnot so far? Yeah, yeah. You, you you'll notice the character growths if you pay attention to them. I don't know if that's what you look for when you read a series. I don't even know if our listeners look for that and when they go through a series. But what I do know is that it's a bit of a. It's something worth watching for, and it's something worth hooking yourself to and being like, I'm interested and intrigued with how much we can grow in this. Because every series has a time frame. Like, you have, you know, the starting time frame of 1 AD to 1000 AD or whatever the time frame might be. And in that time frame, something happens. But if you have a character that goes from, like, year one to year a thousand and nothing changes about them. There's no character growth. It's probably a poorly written character. The fact that this is a 15 book series and there is an actual time span, which we will get to eventually. I don't want to go over it now because I don't want to ruin it for anybody, but um, there is a time a time frame. And in that time frame, you can watch characters, not just these main characters. You can watch side characters or assistant characters, or even like these characters you only see every once in a while you can see how they grow and how they adapt to situations and how they react to situations. It's extremely interesting to watch, which is one of the good things about the series is it has excellent character growth. So we'll come to that more and more, but that's kind of my, we're getting close to the end of the first book. Quick essay, I guess. So uh, was there anything else you wanted to go over before we call it good or? <sighs> Uh, there's not much that I can't want to touch on. Alrighty, so I guess uh, I'll go ahead and chill for us so we can make it nice and quick. Yep. <sighs> Alright, um, so if any of you lovely viewers are, or listeners, viewers, all the above, um, if you are interested in reaching out and asking us questions or wanting to comment about something that you heard or disagree with us or whatever it might be, you can reach us th directly through email at talesofaredarm at gmail.com. You can reach out to me specifically on Twitter and Facebook since James really doesn't check those. Um, I can always forward things to James if you have a question for him specifically. But um, on Twitter, our Twitter I, handle I'm, is... I'm a very private person, so, you know, yeah, no, you, no, you, do like... you wouldn't believe what he's told me. <laughs> but anyway... Um, our Twitter handle is Tales of or at Tales of Red Arm, um, and we do appreciate any sharing or liking, retweeting, whatever it is, you know, Twitter stuff, um, just so we can get a little bit more out there and more people can participate in the, the concepts and whatnot. Um, also, you can reach us on Facebook at obviously Tales of a Red Arm. It's our Facebook page. Um, we can be reached there directly, or you can just ask in the comments to like uh, one of the posts we post. Cause we always like to post our uh, 
episode drops and everything. So if you see an episode that you're particularly listening to and you're like, oh, I have a question about this, you can pop into that or you can just message us directly and then we'll respond as we do. Um, we do ask for like Twitter and for um, Facebook and anything like that. Anything public wise, please do not spoil things. We want to keep this spoil free for new readers so they can enjoy the first reading experience. And we want the veterans to have their own discussions without having to worry about that spoiling. So um, to partially fix the issue without having to mess with too much on Facebook, um, we, well, we went ahead and make a Discord server, which will hopefully <laughs> utilize everyone's particular wants about what they want to talk about or anything is we have a spoiler section we have a spoiler free section and then we have a, just a general purpose just chit chat amongst anybody if they want to we've got um quite a bit that i probably should go look at so i can you know specifically tell you but we've got you know wheel of time news if anything comes up we can post it in there you guys can post it in there um it's a spoiler zone though so anybody who doesn't want spoilers watch out we have our social media lists in there. We have, you know, our friendly random chats, any comments people have, um, a voice channel if people want to chat like they're actually with each other or something. Um, the spoiler free section, the spoiler section. We have a, a place for people to hang out and play games or whatever with each other. And we even have a spot that we've contemplated using called the watch party room, which is essentially um, as the episodes come out, we're looking at possibly doing a watch party where when the episode comes out, we all pick a time, sit down and watch it as a group and or a small community, if you will. And then uh, you can hear me and James kind of wing it <laughs> like more than usual. I like, we wing it anyway, but we'll wing mm. it even more usual and be like, Oh, so that's what happened in the episode. And we'll take it from different viewpoints of like, um, what, what will we compare it to the books? Will we compare it to whatever? Um, will we say like what they could or couldn't do with the series or um, did they put enough effort into it? Did they put too much effort into it? Like anything of that type of uh, instance and situation is something that we can uh, do for that. So um, that's something fun that we want to try to do with you guys to go over it every once in a while and, Maybe after the first season's completely released, maybe we'll go over it again and see if there's anything that we didn't catch the first time. And people are more than welcome to join us for those instances and stuff. Um, but yeah, there's there's a lot of ways you can have fun with us and uh, communicate with other people in the community, and you know maybe meet some really cool people that are else in the community, like other community content creators and stuff. Um, mm. but yeah, it, it'll be a, it, I think it'll be a fun thing to do, but. Um, that's all the ways to reach us that we have as of now. If you guys think of something else later on in the future that you wanted to use, then we could probably look into that. Um, we may end up at one point, depending on how we come to the conclusion, try to sell like t-shirts or merchandise or bookmarks or whatever, just so we can raise money to make a server or something a little bit more of a bearable place when we do these types of events and whatnot. Cause unfortunately, getting the better quality stuff is not cheap it still has to be well, paid for and I, we are I, not rich I think like, well i think the whole thing is see between that um 
we're very we're like we're very driven people as in like we would want to get anything that like sorry, use anything that we get from this to improve this, if that makes yeah. sense. Like we would just like refunnel any funds back into the project. We want to be able to increase, like, if we have a watch party, we want to be able to increase the quality from, like, 720p to 1080. We want to be able yeah, that, to... Like, that, that's sort of the main thrust of it. Yeah, we want, we want to make if, the if servers, the servers, the pages, if we make our own website or something to post our own nonsense on or whatever, um, we want to be able to have access to these types of things, and unfortunately we are not, you know, drowning in money. Um, but... No. If we want, we also want not, people to get not yes anyway. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> this is going to take off. We're going to be billionaires. Let me tell you, billionaires. Yeah. Um, right. But we do, we do want, we don't want people to just like throw money at us just because. I mean, if you want to, that's up to you. I'll be, I'm not going to stop you, I guess. But um, we do want to see if like we can, people can get something out of it by like having a T-shirt or you know getting a cool bookmark to use when they read the Wheel of Time and whatnot. Um, have funny sayings that you can start conversations with coworkers or people you just go shopping and they bump into you like, Oh, that's, that's interesting. Or maybe they'll understand the references we make. I mean, a lot of them are, are, you know, patented tales of a red arm, weird terminologies we use and phrases, but um, something like that. I think it'd be fun for you guys to like, Hey, I have this cool t-shirt, but also you help fund us in a way to be able to, pay for these kind of things and everybody kind of gets their back scratched in the way and uh we don't want to be like overbearing about it but that that's something that can help us whether it be better getting better mics because james needs a new mic so bad um, <laughs> better connection for headsets and stuff like that or better computer if they need one because i i don't know what his situation is but his is so it has its issues. It's, it, has, it has its issues, but if we can make the recording quality better and stuff like that, uh, I've been learning a bit about production and whatnot. So this is kind of stuff that we we want to eventually get to, but this isn't stuff we have ready yeah, yet. Yeah, so. Some things, you know, yeah, so so like you, you, you'll probably notice in the grand scheme of things, but you know, you just you won't consciously think about like, oh, you know, uh, this person could use a better mic or you know, slightly better programming and. Unfortunately, we can't get James a better voice. So, I mean, no, unfortunately not. <laughs> so, like I said from the first episode, you'll have to kill me. <laughs> uh, don't tempt me with a good time. I'm not leaving. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, we'll let you guys go for now. But we we just wanted to let you guys know what what we had up our sleeves and uh any any ways you guys because we we do want to hear from you and we want to know what you guys are thinking and everything and we we think that that'd be a good healthy way for the community to reach out and chit chat and make friends and whatnot so uh i guess and till you guys join us on the next chapter chapter 50 um we'll have to see you around until then we drink all night and dance all day, and on the girls will spend our pay. And when we're done, then we'll away to dance with Jack of the Shadows. We will toss the dice however they fall, and some the girls be they short or tall. And follow young Matt wherever he goes to dance with Jack of the Shadows. 
were tossed the dice, however they fall. In some of the guns be they shot or tall, then follow Lord Matt wherever he calls to dance with Jack of the Shadows. We'll give a yell with a bloody curse and hog the mags, it could be worse. Let's ride away with the dark woods first to dance with Jack of the Shadows. Yeah. Yeah.